Chapter Two of Gullible's Travels, etc., by Ring Lardner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Three Kings and a Pair. According to some authorities, a person before they get married should ought to look up your opponent's family tree and find out what all her relatives died of. But the way I got it figured out, if you're sure they did die, the rest of it don't make no difference. In exceptionable cases, it may be all right to take a girl that part of her family is still living, but not under no circumstances if the part happens to be an unmarried sister named Bessie. We was expecting her in about two weeks, but we got a card Saturday morning which she says on it that she'd come right away if it was all the same to us, because it was the dull season in Wabash society, and she could tear loose better at the present time than later on. Well, I guess there ain't no time in the year when society in Wabash would collapse for she not being there, but if she had to come at all, the sooner it was over, the better. And besides, it wouldn't have done us no good to say aye, yes, or no, because the post guard only beat her here by a few hours. Not having no idea she was coming so soon, I didn't meet the train, but it seems like she brought her escort right along with her. It was a guy named Bishop, and she'd met him on the trip up. The news butcher introduced them, I guess. He's seen her safe to the house, and she was there when I got home. Her and my missus was full of him. Just think, the missus says, he writes motion picture plays. And gets ten thousand a year, says Bess. Did you find out from the firm? I asked her. He told me himself, says Bessie. That's the right kind of fella, says I, open and above the board. Oh, you like Mr. Bishop, says Bess. He says such funny things. Yes, I says, that's a pretty good one about the ten thousand a year. But I suppose it's funnier when he tells it himself. I wished I could meet him. They won't be no trouble about that, says the missus. He's coming to dinner tomorrow, and he's coming to play cards some evening next week. What evening, I says. Any evening that's convenient for you, says Bessie. Well, I says, I'm sorry, but I got engagements every night except Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. What about Tuesday? asked Bessie. We're going to the opera, I says. Oh, won't that be grand, says Bessie. I wonder what I can wear. A kimono would be all right, I says. If the doorbell rings, you don't have to answer it. What do you mean, says the missus. I guess if we go... Bessel, go with us. You'll starve to death if you guessed for a living, I says. Never mind that kind of talk, says the missus. When we got a visitor, we're not going out places nights and leave her here alone. What's the matter with Bishop, I says. There's a lot of two-handed card games. I ain't going to force myself onto you, says Bessie. You don't have to take me nowheres if you don't want to. I wish you'd put that in writing in case of a lawsuit, I says. Listen here, says the Frau. Get this straight. Either Bess goes, or I don't go. You can both stay home, says I. I don't anticipate no trouble finding a partner. All right, that's settled, says the missus. We'll have a party of our own. And it must have been going to be a dandy, because just speaking about it made her cry. So I says, you win, but I'll probably have to change the tickets. What kind of tickets have you got? asked the missus. 
cheap ones i says downstairs five per how grand says bessie yes i says but i'm afraid i got the last two they had i'll probably have to give em back and take three balcony seats that's all right just so bess goes says the wife mr bishop's wild about music says bessie well i says he probably gets passes to the picture houses he don't hear no real music there says bessie well says i suppose when he comes tomorrow i mention something about i and the missus having tickets to the opera tuesday night then if he's so wild about music he'll maybe try to horn into the party and split the expenses fifty-fifty that'd be a fine thing says the frau you think we was a bunch of cheapskates come right out and ask him to go at your expense or else don't ask him at all i won't ask him at all i says it was a mistake for me ever to suggest it yes says bessie but after making this suggestion it would be a mean trick not to go through with it why i asked her he won't never know the difference but i will says bessie course you would dear says the missus after thinking you was going to have a man of your own the party wouldn't seem like no party if you just went along with us all right all right i says let's not argue no more every time i open my head it costs three dollars no such a thing says the missus the whole business won't only be two dollars more than you figured on the tickets you had for the two of us would come to ten dollars and with bess and mr bishop going it's only twelve if you get balcony seats i wonder says bessie if mr bishop wouldn't object to sitting in the balcony maybe he would says the missus well i says if he gets dizzy and falls over the railings there's plenty of ushers to point out where he came from they ain't no danger of him getting dizzy says bessie the only thing is he's probably used to settin in the high-priced seats and would be embarrassed among the riff and raff he can wear a false mustache for a disguise he's got a real one says bessie he can shave it off then says i i wouldn't have him do that for the world says bessie it's too nice a one you can't judge a mustache by seeing it once i say it may be a crook at heart this ain't getting us nowhere says the missus they still a question before the house it's up to best to give the answer i says bishop and his lip shield are invited if they'll set in a three-dollar seat it's off then says bessie and beats it in the guest room and slams the door what's the matter with you says the missus nothing at all i says except i ain't no millionaire scenario writer twenty dollars is twenty dollars yes says the missus but how many times have you lost more than that playing cards and not thought nothing of it that's different i says when i spend money in a card game it's more like an investment i get a chance to make something by it and this would be an investment too says the wife and a whole lot better chance of winning than in one of them crooked card games what are you getting at i asked her this is what i'm getting at she says though you'd ought to see it without me telling you this here bishop's made a big hit with bess it's been done before says i listen to me says the frau it's high time she was getting married and i don't want her marrying none of them hoosier hicks they'll see to that i says they ain't such hicks she can do a lot worse than take this here bishop the missus says ten thousand a year ain't no small change 
and she'll be here and shy. Maybe they could find a flat right in this building. That's all right, I says. We could move. Don't be so smart, says the missus. It would be mighty nice for me to have her so near, and it would be nice for you and I both to have a rich brother-in-law. I don't know about that, says I. Somebody might do us a mischief in a fit of jealous rage. He'd show us enough good times to make up for whatever they done, says the wife. We're foolish if we don't make no play for him, and it'd be starting off right to take him along to this here opera and set him in the best seats. He likes good music, and you can see he's used to doing things in style. And besides, Sis looks her best when she's dressed up. Well, I finally gave in, and the missus called Bessie out of the despondence ward, and they were all smiles and pep but they acted like I wasn't in the house, so to make it realistic, I blowed down to Andy's and looked after some of my other investments. We always have dinner Sundays at one o'clock, but of course Bishop didn't know that and showed up prompt at ten bells before I was halfway through the comical section. I had to go to the door because the missus don't ever put on her shoes till she's positive the family on the first floor is all awake, and Bessie was basking in the kind of water that don't come in your lease at Wabash. "'Mr. Bishop, ain't it?' I says, looking him straight in the upper lip. "'How'd you know?' he says, smiling. "'The girls told me to be expecting a handsome man of that name,' I says, "'and they told me about the mustache.' "'There wouldn't be much to tell,' says Bishop. "'It's young yet,' I says. "'Come in and take a weight off your feet.' So he picked out the only chair we got that ain't upholstered with flat irons, and we sat down and was trying to think of something more to say when Bessie hollered to us from mid-channel. "'Is that Mr. Bishop?' she yelped. "'It's me, Miss Gordon,' says Bishop. "'I'll be right out,' says Bess. "'Take it easy,' I says. "'You mightn't catch cold, but there's no use risking it.' So then I and Bishop knocked the streetcar service and President Wilson and gave each other the double O. He wasn't what you call ugly-looking, but if you'd come out in print and say he was handsome, a good lawyer would have you at his mercy. His dimensions, what they was of them, all run perpendicular. He didn't have no latitude. If his collar slipped over his shoulders, he could step out of it. If they hadn't been paying him all them millions for picture plays, he could have got a job in a wire wheel. They wouldn't have been no difference in his photograph if he took it with an X-ray or a camera. But he had hair and two eyes and a mouth and all the rest of it, and his clothes was certainly class. Why wouldn't they be? He could pick out cloth that was thirty bucks a yard and get a suit and overcoat for fifteen bucks. An umbrella cover would have made him a year's pajamas. Well, I seen the missus sneak from the kitchen to her room to don the shoe leather, so I got right down to business. The girls tell me you're fond of good music, I says. I love it, says Bishop. Do you ever take in the opera? I asked him. I eat it up, he says. Have you been this year, I says. Pretty near every night, says Bishop. I should think you'd be sick of it, says I. Oh, no, he says. You know more than I get tired of food. A man could easily get tired of the same kind of food, I says. But the operas is all different, says Bishop. Different languages, maybe, I says, but they are all music and singing. Yes, says Bishop, but the music and singing in the different operas is no more alike than lumbago and hives. They couldn't be nothing differenter, for instance, than Faust and Madame Buttermilk. Unless it was scotch and chocolate soda, I says. 
There's good operas and bad operas, says Bishop. Which is the good ones? I asked him. Oh, he says, Carmen and La Bohemian Girl and Il Toreador. Carmen's a bear cat, I says. If they was all good as Carmen, I'd go every night. But lots of em is flivvers. They say they couldn't nothing be worse than this armor's D. Tree Re. It is pretty bad, says Bishop. I seen it a year ago. Well, I'd just been reading in the paper where it was brand new and hadn't never been given previous to this season, so I thought I'd have a little sport with Mr. Smartenstein. What's it about? I says. He stalled a while. It ain't about much of anything, he says. It must be about something, says I. They got it all balled up the night I seen it, says Bishop. The actress forgot their lines, and a man couldn't make heads and her tails of it. Did they sing in English? I asked him. No, Latin, says Bishop. Can you understand Latin? I says. Sure, says he. I ought to. I studied it two years. What's the name of it mean in English? I asked. You pronounce the Latin wrong, he says. I can't parse it from how you say it. If I'd seen it wrote out, I could tell. So I handed him the paper where they give the opera schedule. That's her, I says, pointing to the one that was billed for Tuesday night. Oh, yes, says Bishop. Yes, that's the one. No question about that, says I. But what's it mean? I knowed you'd said it wrong, says Bishop. The right pronouncement would be L. Armour's Day Trey Ray. No wonder I was puzzled. Now the puzzle's solved, I says. What do them last three words mean? Louis Armour's what? Ain't, ain't got nothing to do with armor, says Bishop. The first word is the Latin for love, and day means of God, and tre means three, and re means kings. Oh, I says, it's a poker game. The fellow's just called, and the other fellow shows down his hand, and the first fellow had a straight and thought it was no good. So he's surprised to see what the other fellow's got. So he says, well, for the love of Mike, three kings only makes it stronger is that the dope i don't think it's anything about poker says bishop you'd ought to know i says you seen it but it was all jumbled up says bishop i couldn't get the plot you suppose you could get it if you seen it again i says i wouldn't sit through it he says it's no good well sir I thought at the time that this little speech meant a saving of eight dollars, because if he didn't go along, us three could set amongst the riff and raff. I dropped the subject right there and was going to tell the girls about it when he'd went home, but the missus crabbed it a few minutes after her, and Bess came in the room. "'Did you get your invitation?' says she to Bishop. "'What invitation?' he says. "'My husband was going to ask you to go with us Tuesday night,' she says. "'Grand opera!' Bishop won't go, I says. He's already saw the play and says it ain't no good, and he wouldn't feel like setting through it again. Why, Mr. Bishop, that's a terrible disappointment, says the missus. We was counting on you, says Bessie, choking up. It's tough luck, I says, but you can't expect things to break right all the while. Wouldn't you change your mind, says the missus. That's up to your husband, says Bishop. I didn't understand that I was invited. I should certainly hate to break up a party. And if I'd knew I was going to be asked, I would have spoke different about the opera. 
is probably a whole lot better than when I seen it, and besides, I would surely enjoy your company. You can enjoy iron most any night for nothing, I says, but if you don't enjoy the one down to the auditorium, there's no use in me paying five iron men to have you bored to death. You got me wrong, says Bishop. The piece was gave by a bunch of supers the time I went. I'd like to see it with a real cast. They say it's a whiz when it's acted right. There, says the missus, that settles it. You can change the tickets tomorrow. So I was stopped, and there was no more to say. And after a while we had dinner, and then I see why Bishop was so skinny. Apparently he hadn't tasted fodder before for a couple of months. It must keep you busy writing them scenarios, I says. No time to eat or nothing. Oh, I eat once in a while, even if I don't look it, he says. I don't often get a chance at food that's cooked like this. Your wife's some dandy little cook. It runs in the family, I guess, says Bessie. You ought to taste my cooking. Maybe he will some day, says the missus. And then her and Bessie pretended like they'd made a break and was embarrassed. So when he was through, I says, we'd best take Bishop out in the kitchen and show him how she can wash dishes. Nothing doing, says the wife. I'm going to stack them, and then I and you's got to hurry and keep our date. What date, I says. Over the hatches, says the missus. You ain't forgotten, had you? I ain't forgotten that the hatches was in Benton Harbor, I says. Yes, says the frau, winking at me. But I promised Mrs. Hatch I'd run over there and see that everything was okay. So I wasn't even allowed to sit down and smoke, but had to help unload the table and then go out into the cold. And it was rotten weather and Sunday and nothing but water, water everywhere. "'What's the idea?' I asked the missus when we was out. "'Can't you see nothing?' she says. "'I want to give Bess a chance.' "'Chance to what?' I says. "'A chance to talk to him,' says the wife. "'Oh,' says I, "'I thought you wanted him to get stuck on her.' "'What do you think of him?' says she. "'Wouldn't he fit fine in the family?' He'd fit in a flute, I says. He's the skinniest thing I ever seen. It seems like a shame to pay five dollars for a seat for him when him and Bessie could sit in the same seat without contact. He is slender, says the missus. Probably they've been starving him where he boards at. I bet they wouldn't starve me on ten thousand a year, I says. But maybe they don't know he's at the table or think he's just one of the macaroni. It's all right for you to make jokes about him, says she. But if you had his brains, we'd be better off. If I had his brains, I said, he'd go up like a balloon. If he lost an ounce, gravity wouldn't have no effect on him. You don't have to bulge out to be a man, says the missus. He's smart, and he's rich, and he's a swell dresser, and I don't think we'd find a better match for Bess. Match just describes him, says I. You're too cute to live says the wife, but no matter what you say, him and Bess is going to hit it off. They're just suited to each other. They're an ideal pair. You win that argument, I says. They're a pair, all right, and they'd make a great hand if you was playing deuces wild. Well, we walked around till our feet was froze, and then we went home, and Bishop says he would have to go, but the missus asked him to stay to supper, and when he made the remark about having to go, he was referring to one o'clock the next morning. And right after supper, I was gave the choice of taking another walk or hitting the hay. Why don't we play cards, I says. 
It's Sunday, says the missus. Has the mayor stopped that, too? I says. But she winked at me again, the old flirt. So I stuck around the kitchen till it was pretty near time to wipe the dishes, and then I went to bed. Monday noon I chased over to the auditorium, and there was only about eighty in line ahead of me, and I was hoping the house would be sold out for a week before I got up to the window. While I was marking time, I looked at the pictures of the different actors hung up on the posts to advertise some kind of hair tonic. I wished I had Bishop along to tell me what the different names meant in English. I suppose most of them meant goatee or spinach or brush or hedge or thicket or something. Then there was the girls' pictures, too. Genevieve Farrar, that died in the stockyard scene in Carmen, and Fanny Alda, that took the part of the Michaels girl from Janesville, and Mary Gardner, and Louise Edvany, that was going to warble for us, and a lot more of all ages and one size. Finally, I got up to the ticket agent's cage, and then I didn't only have to wait till the three women behind me done their shopping, and then I hauled out my two tickets and asked the agent what would he give me for them. "'Do you want to exchange them?' he says. "'I did,' says I, "'but I heard you was sold out for tomorrow night.' "'Oh, no,' he says. "'We got plenty of seats.' "'But nothing downstairs, is they?' I says. "'Yes,' he says. "'Anywhere as you want.' Well, I says, if you're sure you can spare them, I want four in the place of these two. Here's four nice ones in the seventh row, says he. It'll be ten dollars more. I ain't particular to have them nice, I says. It don't make no difference, says he. The hole downstairs is five a wallop. Yes, I says, but one of the four that's gone is a little skinny feller, and another's a refugee from Wabash. I don't care if they're all escapades from Milford Junction, he says. We ain't running no Hoosier Welfare League. You're smart, ain't you? I says. I got to be, says the agent. But if you was a little smarter, you'd be this side of the cage instead of that side, says I. Do you want these tickets or don't you? He says. So I seen he didn't care for no more verbal collisions with me, so I gave him the two tickets and a bonus of ten bucks, and he gave me back four pasteboards and throwed in an envelope free for nothing. I passed up lunch Tuesday because I wanted to get home early and have plenty of time to dress. That was the idea, and it worked out every bit as successful as the peace ship. In the first place, I couldn't get in my room because that's where the Mrs. and Bess was making up. In the second place, I didn't need to have allowed any time for supper because there was none. The wife said she and Bessie had been so busy with their clothes that they'd forgot a little thing like supper. But I didn't have no lunch, I says. That ain't my fault, says the missus. Besides, we can all go somewheres and eat after the show. On who, I says. You're giving the party, says she. The invitations didn't contain no clause about the inner man, says I. Furthermore, if I'd had the ten dollars back that I spent today for tickets, I'd have eleven dollars altogether. Well, says the missus, maybe Mr. Bishop will have the hunch. He will if his hearing's good, says I. Bishop showed up at six-thirty, looking mighty cute in his waiter uniform. After he'd come, it didn't take best long to finish her toilet. I liked to fell over when I see her. Some doll she was, too, in a fifty-meg evening dress marked down to thirty-seven. I know, because I'd help pick it out for the missus. My, you look sweet, says Bishop. That's a beautiful gown. 
It's my favorite, says Bessie. It don't take a person long to get attached to a pretty dress, I says. The missus hollered for me to come in and help her. I don't need no help, she says, but I didn't want you giving no secrets away. What are you going to wear, says I. Bess had one that just fits me, she says. She's loaning it to me. Her middle name's generous, I says. Don't be sarcastical, says the missus. I want sis to look her best this once. And I suppose it don't make no difference how you look, says I, so long as you only get me to please. If Bishop's friends see him with Bessie, they'll say, My, he's copped out a big leaguer. But if I run into any of my pals, they'll think I married the hired girl. You should worry, says the missus. And besides that, I says, if you succeed in tying Bishop up to a long-term lease, he's bound to see that there dress on you sometime, and then what'll he think? Best can keep the gown, says the missus. I'll make her give me one of hern for it. With your trading ability, I says, you ought to be the Cincinnati Reds' manager. But if you do give the dress to her, I says, warn her not to wear it in Wabash, except when the marshal's over on the other street. Well, we was ready in a few minutes, because I'm getting used to the soup and fish, and everything went on easy, owing to my vacuum, and I was too weak to shave, and the missus didn't have no trouble with Bessie's creation, which was built like the Cottage Grove cars, enter it front. I don't think I'm so bad, says the missus, looking in the glass. You'd be just right, I says, if we was going to the annual meeting of the Woman's Guild. I and Bishop had a race getting on the streetcar. I was first, and he won. I just got paid today, he says, and I didn't have time to get change. There wasn't only one seat. Bess took it first, and then offered it to the missus. I'll be mad at you if you don't take it, says Bess. But the wife remained standing, and Bessie, by a great effort, kept her temper. Going into the theater, we passed a fellow that was selling librettos. I bet this guy's got lots of change, I says. Them things is for people who ain't never saw no opera, says Bishop. I'm going to have one, I says. Don't buy none for me, says Bishop. You just spoke in time, I says. I laid down a quarter and grabbed one of the books. It's thirty-five cents, says the guy. Carmen wasn't only a quarter, I says. Is this show better than Carmen? This is a new one, the guy says. This fella, I says, pointing to Bishop, seen it a year ago. He must have a good imagination, says the guy. No, I says. He writes moving picture plays. I gave up an extra dime because there didn't seem to be nothing else to do. Then I handed over my tickets to the fella at the door, and we was took right down amongst the high poli. Say, I thought the dress Bess was wearing was low. Ought to been, seeing it was cut down from fifty bucks to thirty-seven. But the rest of the gowns round us must have been sixty percent off. I says to the missus, I bet you wished now you hadn't swapped costumes. Oh, I don't know, she says. It's chilly in here. Well, it may have been chilly then, but not after the opera got going good. Carmen was a human refrigerator compared to the leading lady in this show, set through two acts, and you couldn't hardly believe it was December. But the curtain was supposed to go up at 8.10, and it wasn't only about that time when we got there, so there was over half an hour to kill before the show began. I looked in my program and seen the real translation of the title, The Love of Three Kings, it says, and no of God to it. I'd a knew anyway, when I'd read the plot, that he didn't have nothing to do with it. 
I listened a while to Bishop and Bess. "'And you saw all the operas?' she asked him. "'Most of them,' he says. "'How grand!' says Bessie. "'I wish I could see a lot of them.' "'Well,' he says, "'you're going to be here for some time.' "'Oh, Mr. Bishop, I don't want you throwing all your money away on me,' she says. "'I don't call it throwing money away,' says Bishop. "'I wouldn't either,' I says. "'I'd say Bishop was muscle-bound.' They didn't pay no attention to me. "'What ones would you like to see?' he asked her. "'What are your favorites?' says Bess. "'Oh,' says Bishop, "'I've saw them all so many times "'that it don't really make no difference to me. "'Sometimes they give two the same night, two short ones, "'and then you ain't so liable to be bored. "'Saturday nights is when they usually give the two, "'and Saturday nights they cut the prices. "'This here Bishop wasn't no boob.' One good combination, he says, is Polly Archer and Cavalier Rusticana. They're both awful pretty. Oh, I'd love to see them, says Bessie. What are they like? So he says Polly Archer was a leading lady in a stock company, and the leading man and another fellow was both stuck on her, and she loved one of them. I forget which one. Whichever wasn't her husband. And there was a place in one of their shows where the one that was her husband was supposed to get jealous and stab her and her lover just acting. But instead of just pretending, this one night he played a joke on him and done the stabbing in earnest, and they was both killed. Well, that'd be a good one to see if you happen to be there the night he really kills them. Otherwise, it sounds pretty tame. And Bishop also told her about Cavalier Rusticana. That means rural free delivery in English. And I didn't get the plot, only that the mail carrier flirts with one of the farmer's wives, and of course the rube spears him with a pitchfork. The state's attorneys must have been on the jump all the while in them days. Finally the orchestra was all in their places, and an old guy with a beard came out in front of them. "'That's the conductor,' says Bishop. "'He looks like he's been a long time with the road,' I says. Then up went the curtain and the thermometer." The scene's laid in Little Italy, but you can't see nothing when it starts off because it's supposed to be just before morning. Pretty soon one of the three kings comes in with a grouch. He's old and blind as a bat, and he ain't slept good, and he's sore at the conductor on account of the train being a half hour late, and the conductor's jealous of him because his beard's longer, and Archibald, that's the old king's name, won't sing what the orchestra's playing, but just snarls and growls, and the orchestra can't locate what key he's snarling in, so they don't get along at all. And finally, Flamingo, that's the old king's chauffeur, steers him off on the stage. Across on the other side of the stage from where they go off, there's a bungalow, and out of it comes Flora and another of the kings, a young fellow with a tenor voice named Vito. They sing about what a fine morning it is in WAP, and she tells him he'd better fly his kite before Archibald catches him. It seems like she's married to Archibald's son, Fred, but of course she likes Vito better or it wouldn't be no opera. Her and Vito was raised in the same ward, and they was once engaged to be married. But Archibald's gang trimmed Vito's in a big rough house one night, and Flora was part of the spoils. When Archibald seen how good she could fix spaghetti, he was bound she'd stick in the family, so he gave her the choice of being killed or marrying his boy. So she took Fred, but didn't really mean it in earnest. So Vito hangs around the house a lot, because old Archibald's blind, and Fred's generally always on the road with the Erie section gang. 
but old archibald's eyes being no good his ears is so much the better even if he doesn't sometimes keep with the orchestra so he comes back on the stage just after vetoes went and he hears flora trying to snoop back in her bungalow who was you talking to he says myself says flora great stuff says archibald up and outdoors at five a m to talk to yourself feed that to the goldfish so she ain't got him fooled for a minute but whilst they's arguing fred blows in so archibald don't say nothing about his superstition because he ain't sure so fred and his missus goes in the bungalow to have breakfast and archibald stays on the stage quarrelling with the conductor if fred was eaten all through the intermission he must have been as hungry as me because it was plain forty minutes before the second act began him and flora comes out of their house and fred says he's got to go right away again because there's a bad washout this side of huntington he ain't no sooner gone than vito's back on the job but flora's kind of sorry for her husband and vito don't get the reception that a star ought to expect why don't you smile at me he says so she says it don't seem proper dearie with a husband on the eerie but before long she can't resist his high notes and the next five or ten minutes is a love scene between the two, and there was a couple of times when I thought the management would ring down the asbestos curtain. Finally, old Archibald snoops back on the stage with Flamingo, and Vito runs. But Archie hears him, and it's good night. The old boy gives Flora the third degree, and she owns up, and then Flamingo says that Fred's coming back to get his dinner pail, so Archibald insists on knowing the fellow's name that he heard him running away, but Flora's either forgot it or else she's stubborn, so Archie loses his temper and wrings her neck. So when Fred arrives, he gets the surprise of his life and finds out he's a widow. I slayed her, says Archibald. She wasn't no good. She was the best cook we ever had, says Fred. What was the matter with her? She had a gentleman friend, says his old man. Well, so far, there's only one dead and nothing original about how it was pulled. You could go over to the Victoria and see any number of throttlings at fifty cents for the best seats. So it was up to the management to get a wallop into the last act. It took them pretty near forty minutes to think of it, but it was good when it come. The scene is Colosimo's undertaking rooms, and Flora's ruins is laid out on the counter. All the wops from her ward stand round singing gospel hymns. When they've beat it, Vito approaches the beer bar and wastes some pretty fair singing on the late Flora. Then all of a sudden he leans over and gives her a kiss. That's all for Vito. You see, old fox Archibald had figured that the bird that loved her would pull something like this, and he doped out a way to learn who he was and make him regret it at the same time, besides springing some brand new stuff in the killing line. So he's mixed up some rat poison and garlic and spread it on the lips of his fair daughter-in-law, while Vito's dying, Fred comes in and finds him. So it was you, was it? he says. I'm the guy, says Vito. Well, says Fred, this'll learn you a lesson, you old masher you. I'll mash you in a minute, says Vito, but the way he was now he couldn't have mashed turnips. I kissed her last, anyway, says Vito. You think you did, says Fred, and helps himself to the garlic. So Vito's dead, and Fred's leaning over the counter, dying, when Archibald wobbles in. He finds his way up to Fred and grabs a hold of him, thinking it's the stranger. "'Lay off of me, Pa,' says Fred. "'This ain't the other bird. He's dead. And it's got me, too.' 
Well, says the old man, that ought to satisfy them. But it's pretty tough on the Erie. How grand, says Bess, when it was over. But it leaves you with a bad taste, says Bishop. And a big appetite, I says. Did that old man kill them all? asked the missus. All but himself and Flamingo, says I. What was he mad at, says she. He was drove crazy by hunger, I says. His wife and his sister-in-law and her fellow was starving him to death. Being blind, he probably spilled things at table, says the missus. Blind men sometimes has trouble getting their food. The trouble ain't confined to the blind, says I. When we got outside, I left Bess and Bishop lead the way, hoping they'd lead towards a steak garage. No hurry about getting home, I hollered to them. The night's still young yet. Bishop turned round. Is there any good eating places out by your place? He says. I thought I had him. Not as good as downtown, says I, and I named the Loop restaurants. How's the car service after midnight? He says. Grand, says I, all night long. I wondered where he would take us. Him and Bess crossed the avenue and stopped where the crowd was waiting for southbound cars. He's got some favorite place away south, says the missus. A car come, and I and her clum aboard. We looked back just in time to see Bessie and Bishop waving us farewell. They missed the car, says the missus. Yes, I says, and they was just as anxious to catch it as if it had been the leprosy. Never mind, says the missus. If he wants to be alone with her, it's a good sign. I can't eat a sign says I. We'll stop at the Ideal and have a little supper of our own, she says. We won't, says I. Why not, says the missus. Because, I says, they's exactly thirty-five cents in my pocket, and offering my stomach seventeen and a half cents worth of food now would be just about like sending one blank cartridge to the Russian army. I think there's some crackers in the house, she says. Probably, says I. We're usually that way, overstocked. You don't seem to realize that our household goods is only insured for a thousand. About one o'clock I went to sleep from sheer weakness. About one-thirty the missus shook me and woke me up. We win, Joe, she says all excited. I think Bishop and Bess is engaged. Win, says I. Say, if you was a Frenchman, you'd have a big celebration every anniversary of the Battle of Waterloo. I was going out in the kitchen to get a drink, she says. Bess was home, but I didn't know it. And when I was coming back from the kitchen, I happened to glance in the living room, and I see Bishop kiss her. Isn't it great? Yes, says I. But I wish she'd a had Archibald fix up her lips. End of Three Kings and a Pair